Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. All right, now we're live. Perfect. Jim Bob, welcome to the program. And welcome to you, Jerome. Oh, man. Well, it's it's an honor to have my father here with us on the podcast. He is definitely responsible for most of the sailing that I've ever done in my life. I guess uh, one of those trying to uh, impress your father situations, uh, no doubt, but... Um, my dad has an amazing amount of really interesting adventure stories from when he was a young man, and we're going to hopefully dive into some if you're uh, willing to give us some of that info. Sure, we, we can try that. All right, sounds good. We both have our beers here, so it should be a pretty good one. I, I think we ought to just kick it off with the hang glide story. I think that's, that's, that's usually one of the biggest ones that I used to brag about as a kid. Uh, yes, the hang gliding story. Well, I was I was working in the northwest of Australia at an iron ore mine and mill site. And an Australian uh, engineer I worked with and, and a couple other guys got together and we bought a hang glider. This like a, a do-it-yourself hang glider set? It, it was a regular old hang glider. And this is what, 1975. Oh, okay, 1975. So low-tech. Uh, in Australia at that time, in particularly out where we were, was one of those things where you didn't have to sign any waivers, you didn't have to take any lessons or anything like that. If you wanted to do something, you just went ahead and did it. <laughs> Back in the day. So we bought a hang glider and we did a few practice runs here and there. And and this particular day, we drove out to the mine site, which was a series of mesas in a valley, and the top 60 feet of all the mesas was was like 60% iron ore, and we drove up to the top of one of the mesas and uh, thought it would be great to dive down into the valley and float on down. Fly around, check out the sites, but it didn't go that way. No, it was it was sort of light air that morning, and for whatever reason, I was selected to be the first <laughs> off, and I had this, I thought it would be pretty straightforward. I'd go into a bit of a dive to pick up some airspeed and then flare out into the valley, and uh, the last thing I remember was being about 10 feet from the edge of the cliff at that point part and uh, standing there and then I woke up in the hospital in Perth about two days later which was Jeez. about a thousand miles south and apparently I I went off and I went into a dive but I didn't pull out of the dive and I uh, plowed into a pile of rocks about 60 feet down and and broke a number of bones and yeah well, what was the bone breakage count I did a compound fracture of my left leg, tib, tib and fib, and sma- compound fracture of my right heel, and broke my right pelvis, and uh, and I I 
I said a few words after I landed, but I don't remember saying them. As I said, I the next thing I knew, it was Tuesday, and <laughs> I was in a hospital bed in Perth. Well, good good on the, the guys to help sort of save you, but let me ask you this. Were you the only American? Yeah. Uh, Yes. Well, there we go. We have yeah. our answer. I'm a, I'm just assuming these were all Australians. Like, all right, Jim, you've got it. <laughs> I I think that is true. It was one of my still my best friends, Mick Karate. Oh, Mick Karate was there. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. I know yes. him. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, that like I said, I mean, you know, when when I was growing up, just seeing the the scars on your legs and stuff was was always. You know, back in the day when it was like chicks dig scars, it's like my dad's got crazy scars. So, yeah, and you know they they kept me in the hospital for two months, and I got out of the hospital and I flew back uh, through London, and I was going home to spend another month or so recovering, and we spent the day in London going from bar to bar. And eventually, at the end of the evening... With a big cast on your leg? Big cast on my leg. <laughs> I couldn't walk on my right leg. And uh, this one... Uh, actually, it was an English guy that I knew from the mine. Uh, was a rugby player, and he put me on his shoulders so that we could get to this last bar before it closed. And he was jogging down the alleyway. <laughs> I can picture it. I really yes. can. So you would have been... How, how old were you at that point? Mid-20s? 25. Yeah. 25, wow. And that, so was that part of, so you'd gotten out of college and then didn't you, wasn't that part of like around the world sort of trip? Yeah, I was, I was, I hadn't really traveled much and uh, I was going to go to Australia for six months and then come back and work at a plastics plant in Gloucester, Massachusetts. But uh, it took almost that long to get to Australia, and uh, the guy I was traveling with at that time was planning to work over there. And so when we got there, I thought, well, sure, I'll get a job. And I checked with the immigration, and they said, if you get a job, come back and we'll give you a visa. And so it went from there. Wow, a lot lot different than it is now. Although, I mean, when I went to New Zealand and we bought that crummy van that sucked all of our money and Adam and Nick went home. I stayed there, was able to get a job. And it took me, I think, six six or seven months to earn enough money for a plane ticket back home. Yeah. But it was a good experience. I, you know, that's <clears throat> it's part of living, right? Yes. And, and that's why I ended up at the mine because I'd worked in Sydney for about a year and a half. And then I... Uh, got invited to take part in a race sailboat race to New Caledonia and when after that race ended the owner of the boat asked me if I wanted to stay on the boat because he had to go back to Australia because of some business issues and uh, he said you can go wherever you want just let me know where you are and so I I telegraphed my resignation this was you know Obviously, pre-cell phone. Right, right. And uh, Telegram. And <laughs> so I resigned, and when I eventually got back to Sydney, I, st- 
started thinking about going uh, back to the United States, but I'd already cashed in my ticket, uh, return air ticket, and so I ended up going out to the West Coast to work in the mines where you could make twice the money what I was making in Sydney. Well, yeah, because that, that was pretty close to like the mining shortage down there once because they they only discovered all the iron ore in the late 50s early 60s oh yeah the uh, the particular place i was working on it had only been open about a year and a half and so it was it was very interesting working there you know it, we were upgrading all the facilities and trying to see how much iron ore we could actually push out of there because it was you know it is it had been designed, but it hadn't been operated. Right, right. Well, and that was where they're basically like making those iron ore pellets. Yeah. And then there's that conveyor belt that goes a quarter mile offshore. Yeah. So that ships can just basically tie up and then yeah. just dumps it on. Yeah, I remember when we went there on the family vacation, that was that was pretty incredible to see all those little iron ore pellets still just everywhere. They're basically part of the landscape. So yeah, that was pretty cool. That and that was where we got to go sailing at Port Walcott Yacht Club or Port Walcott Beach. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was it was very cool. Very cool. Well, and so you went and sailed up to New Caledonia. Do you do any other uh good stops while you're down there? I sailed uh from New Caledonia, I sailed with uh, another group to Fiji. Uh Oh really? He wanted to take his boat to Fiji. So I, I helped him with that, and uh, and then I took a bunch of French people out to um, the reef to uh, catch some fish because they had a restaurant. <laughs> don't, don't let the dog pull the cord out. All right, and we're back. We had a little malfunction with the, the new dog and uh, <laughs> pulled out the cords, but we're back. So we were talking about... Sailing off to Fiji from Australia. Yes. Yeah. And there there were some interesting escapades on that trip. The uh, What type of boat was it? It was a custom, I think the name of the boat was Boomerang, and it was a foam cord, uh, 45-foot sloop, um, Built in Australia, as I understand it, and it had a it, for the time it had a pretty elaborate uh, structure. It had like a, a space frame inside the cabin, you know, that the chain plates and all stuff went to. Oh, and, right, right, right. And uh, you know, we had a when we left New Caledonia, I think the owner captain had secured like a five gallon uh thing of red wine in one of those baskets you know like an italian style wine okay yeah and he had it tied off down below to the uh table and we got hit in the middle of the night uh by a you know pretty uh rough thunderstorm laid over on our side and stuff in the and the wine uh, slammed and hit something and broke, and so oh, we ended five up with gallons? five gallons in the bilge. Nice. I'm sure that smelled wonderful. Yes, <laughs> that sort of stuff happens, though. You know, you get yeah. 
get the unexpected uh, blow. I once had a speaker, a big Bluetooth speaker, um, <coughs> come off of a shelf and smash actually a, a plank of uh, wood next to the bunk. And I was, you know, I'm sleeping basically a foot away from it. And it was just one big wave that, that knocked us over a bit. Yeah. He's gonna tie that stuff down real secure. That's for sure. Yeah. So it, it was it was interesting. We, the captain of the boat, for some reason, had an issue with myself and one or two of the other crew members. And as we were entering port in Fiji, he said that he wasn't going to put us down on the ship's ship's uh, uh, oh, the crew list. Crew yeah. list. And that uh, I you think know, I remember you telling me about that. Yeah, and it was I, I I don't know why he was upset at us, but eventually that got worked out. But he got his rewards because we went out to a, a bar one night. We were tied up to the uh, some sort of a slip in the in the harbor, and he keep that up, mic close. He he <laughs> he picked up a woman in the bar. And took her back to the boat, and uh, the other people in the bar were kind of laughing because it wasn't really a woman that he picked up, and he didn't discover that till he was in his oh, birth geez. with her. And that him. was back in what the that was still in the seventies, seventies, yeah, oh, seventy four. Well, surprise, surprise. Yeah. I guess karma, karma's a real pain. Yes. <laughs> Oh man! Well, and you went all the way down to Tasmania, so you really did hit quite a bit of Australia, and you were hitchhiking a lot of time, right? Yeah, I, I hitchhiked down to Tasmania. I had a a bad knee, and I was trying to exercise the knee over Christmas vacation, and ended up in Hobart and managed to catch a ride back on a one ton sloop back to Sydney, and uh, I ended up crewing on that uh, sloop is after that uh, delivery back from Tasmania. And that was just in like Sydney Harbor and stuff? Sydney Harbor, and we do these offshore races. They had like the Bird Island race, and, you know, it was kind of neat. They start Friday evening, and typically you'd finish Friday, Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon or something. So it was, they were fun races. Yeah, we did uh, the Pittwater to Coffs Harbor race when we were down yeah. there, and that was on uh, Sydney 38. And I, I want to say it was about a 24-hour race. Yeah. I think it's only like 200 miles or something. But Well, I you know, hitchhiking down there, I, I never actually did that. We always took the buses everywhere. But on the Appalachian Trail, obviously, I hitchhiked all the time Yeah, and never had any problems. <clears throat> did you have any crazy experiences hitchhiking down there? Not not really, not that I can remember. I mean, I did hitchhike from Sydney out to Perth when I tried to get a job up in the Iron Range. And as we went across the Nullarbor Plain, which at that point in time was still dirt roads, right? about 1,000 miles of dirt road, I think, and I caught a ride with a couple of guys and and they were having some car issues, and you know somebody had to sit on the hood to keep it down. <laughs> and you know it was it was it was an interesting travel. But we well, made. I it. can imagine. Yeah, how long did that take? So wait, you hitchhiked from Sydney to Perth. Yeah, 
that's that's a ri- that's like hitchhiking from New York to L.A. I th- I think it was about a week. Oh wow! Maybe I I I can't I don't really I just remember the Nullarbor and and getting to Perth. Well, didn't you get picked up by somebody who where they were driving like a hundred and something miles an hour? You were in the back of the pickup truck or something? Oh no, that was I was going from Sydney to Adelaide. Oh, I was. Um, I was going down to meet this girl that I had met in Hobart the summer before, I guess. Yeah. And I was, it's like one o'clock in the morning. I'm in the middle of nowhere, 500 miles from anywhere. And it was raining. And I got picked up by a, a Holden, which is like a Chevrolet sedan. And it's a, young guy and his sister in the front and a father in the back and I got in with him and they were going to a concert they were uh he was a classical musician and they were going to a concert in Adelaide and this these guys got out there and they took that car up to 100 miles an hour <laughs> and we're just you know it's two lane road we're just middle of the night going along and and you know every once in a while you'd hit a puddle of water in the car you know with hydroplane for a little bit but it, it all seemed to work out holy cow well i i would think you'd be worried about hitting kangaroos i i was so glad to be out yeah well i'm sure yeah it's sort of so, like whatever it doesn't yeah. matter at all <laughs> yeah well that definitely sounds like uh some some pretty good adventuring and you know as far as the sailing stuff goes you know you you had done previously quite a bit of sailing from like Gloucester and Maine and all that, right? Yes. Yeah. And what, what type of boat was that on? I raced, you know, little turnabouts in Gloucester and international one tens. And, uh, then I worked on a 50 foot schooner that would go down to Maine once a summer for about a month. And, uh, you know, that was, that was the bulk of my sailing then. And then after I got out of college, oh, and then I worked at this uh, resort in Booth Bay Harbor where I ran a, a 41-foot Malabar schooner and taking out the guests twice a day for uh, day sales, so to speak. Oh, okay, okay. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things where once again, when I went for my captain's license, if any of the people were still alive at that resort, I could have got some references, but I didn't. <laughs> yeah, they were right. All they're all gone. gone. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So. Well, and I, I know I I I've never heard the whole story, but uh that that trip that you guys did of the Choi Lee in the Great Lakes. It was you, Buzz, and Doc Bosch. Doc Bosch was just our driver okay. to get us over to Georgian Bay. But we were bringing uh my wife's brothers, Choi Lee, back from Canada to Bay Harbor where he was going to try and sell it and let us use it while he was trying to sell it. And that's about, what, 200-mile trip, 150? I think it was 250. I'm not 100% sure. Because he's up. That's It was coming from the northern part of, of Canada, so where you're— Basically, somewhere from Canada to the Mackinac Bridge was 
Yeah, it's 100 in, miles. We were, we were at the southern tip of Georgian Bay. Okay, we okay. We came up Georgian Bay and then out into Lake Huron. Hey, that's part of the Great Loop. Yeah, and then, uh, and you know, we 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 had to drive over to Georgian Bay, and we get there, and the boat's in the water, but the the masts aren't in the boat. They're in the this marina had a had a um, derrick right there that we could use, and so we set that up, put the masts in, and then we went to do some. Uh, resupply for the boat for the trip and uh, Buzz stayed on the boat and he was wiring up the batteries and stuff and we came back and he was sweating and we said what happened he said well I started the engine and it worked but then this fire developed down below (laughs) he said I tried to shut the engine off but it wouldn't shut off and so I went below and tried to put the fire out and then went back up to work on the engine and back and forth and back and forth and finally got it out. Oh, uh, but my God. It was, you know, a case of very poorly rewiring had been done to the boat. Well, and I'm sure Buzz was just trying to make a quick job of it as well. Yeah, so, yeah. But, you know, that that's something you run into all the time. If you If you do a lot of deliveries and things like that, you're bound to hop aboard a boat that is an absolute mess. Yeah. And yeah, so to start to start a voyage out with a fire is always sort of a red flag. Yeah. Well, so then it <laughs> proceeded from there. We're we're motoring out of this marina and and uh, headed out, and we're gonna. Uh, this is midsummer. I think so. I think it was, and uh, I can't. You know, we're we're getting ready. We're gonna check in with customs and clear Canadian customs and stuff. I'm going through the the ship's documents and find that the the boat is has not ever been registered in my brother-in-law's name. It's still shown as being owned by a German couple that had sold it to him. <laughs> and so so we the made, engine's a mess. The paperwork is just not there. Yeah, we made the executive decision not to clear customs and not to clear u.s customs when we got there it's a great lake yeah Yeah. (laughs) big gaping hole in our (laughs) in our border yes and how how was the sail i mean conditions usually in the great lakes it's either it's blowing or it's not it's and you tend to get a lot of westerlies yeah it was okay and actually once we left uh we spent the night at drummond island which is where the customs place was we made sure to get up early in the morning before they came in. Oh yeah, the old slip out. And uh, it had a would have had a terrific sail down to Petoskey from there, but uh, nice breeze and all that sort of stuff, and all the sails started to rip. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. could have used me with my little sewing machine yes, there. I could yeah. have done that. Oh geez. Wow. And then so leave Drummond Island, and then was where is it? Any of it done like overnight sailing? Uh, no. Oh, yes. I, I guess it was. I'm sorry. The first night when we left Georgian Bay, we sailed through the night and then eventually got to Drummond Island uh, late the following day. So it it must have been about 150 miles up and then another 100 miles to Petoskey. And how was Buzz as a uh, as a crew? He was great. He was He was sitting there 
during the day as we went by Mackinac Island, falling asleep in the cockpit as he's reading one of those mini uh, uh, Slocum books. Oh, the the tiny version of uh, yes. sailing alone around the world. Yes, yes, <laughs> I can picture it. Oh man! Well, you know when I did that trip around the world, Colin. He had given me obviously his ashes, but he also lent me that book to have along as well. Oh, so I sort of had this little vial of of ashes right next to the book. So he's kind of doing the same thing on my boat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you did make it. You got back safe, sound. I remember we got to sail that boat a couple of times, and yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, we had it was a needle. Was it catch or was it y'all? I think it was a catch, wasn't it? I think it was a catch. Yeah, yeah. yeah neat boat, neat boat. I've I've barely done any sailing in the great lakes outside of this little little bay out here little traverse but always just seems cold really cold yes it does something about it who knows who knows well so those are those are some of your bigger trips and then then uh i know you've done you've done the trip from maine to the bvi on a hundred foot swan yes and that was you guys saw some pretty good weather on that well, one. We we had awesome breezes, you know. We had thirty to forty knot breezes uh, on our uh, port quarter for days, and we were just flying through the waves. It was terrific. I can only imagine what what sort of sail set would you have on that? We had a, the staysail and a reefed main. Nice. And, uh, you know, we we were just cruising along, and it was so much fun to take the boat off autopilot and actually steer it into those waves and stuff. Oh, I'm sure. Well, I, I've seen a few of the shots, uh, some yeah. of the video and everything, and, yeah, you, you definitely get a, a better sense of how big some of those waves were uh, just f- because you have 100 feet of boat yeah. in the in the in the film or in the camera shot. You know, when I when I try and take any sort of film – on my boat because it's so small you just never you never can really grasp just the the size and scale actually how big some of those waves are when it gets rough but who knows so that how long did that trip take i think it was eight days no that's not bad and that's like 1800 miles i think i think that's right yes something like that yeah well and that brings us to our trip the inaugural Oh, the trip of trips. Yeah, the trip of trips. The the ultimate sea trial of uh, the mighty sparrow. And this was just just over or no, you know what? We probably left five years ago today. Oh. Okay. Believe it or not. Because we I was up here for Christmas two thousand fifteen. Yeah. And then you flew in, I wanna say it was on like the thirty or the twenty eighth. Or maybe the 27th. Yeah, yeah, it was right after Christmas. Yeah, and we were, so just to set this up, you know, Mighty Sparrow had been on the dock for, I think, a month and a half, excuse me, while I was sort of getting it ready and putting it all together, had quite a bit of work to do, and then we were, I was just going to sail it myself down to the BVI, and... We sort of figured it'd probably be best for this first voyage to have somebody else on board, and and you volunteered, or you were sort of volunteered by mom, really. Correct. I guess I guess that's the way. I can't remember how that occurred. <laughs> well, 
all I all I remember is you know I flew back down uh, right after Christmas, so I had about a day or two and was trying to prep the last little things, and then you flew in, and we were sort of under the gun with the weather because we we had to cross the Gulf Stream. We were leaving from Jupiter, Florida or West Palm Beach, Florida, and headed to the BVI, which is about 1,200 miles. And we had a big northerly coming in where it was going to blow upwards of 25 knots. And at that area, the Gulf Stream runs really fast, and you just don't you don't ever want to get caught in a north blow in that Gulf Stream. So you came in. I think you flew in in the late afternoon. And I think we went shopping that evening for groceries. Yeah, well, you had to return the car. Yeah, but that was a debacle. And then we, I think we went and started shopping sometime around nine o'clock at night. Loaded up a ton of stuff, brought it back to the boat. I think I was still stashing stuff after midnight, and then I went to work on remounting the the wind wind vane that I had incorrectly installed, which is a big job. Lots of fifty-two hundred, lots of big screws, bolts, all that sort of stuff, while hanging over the back of the boat. And then it was pretty much up with the sun, fuel the boat up, and then we were out of there. Oh, we received the sat phone that morning. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So we got the sat phone the day we were leaving, and I was left with the duty of of registering it and getting everything ready, which didn't work. But because I'm such an idiot, <laughs> I didn't test it and actually try and make a phone call before I left. But we had we had downloaded the weather. We had an AIS, automatic identification system, that was supposedly working. I could see some ships on it. Um, we had a full tank of gas. The sails were okay. The boat was heavily loaded down with a dinghy and all sorts of extra crap. And we set sail on, I think, the 28th or the 29th of of uh december and and it was it was perfect conditions when we left oh yeah it's delightful yeah i mean light wind nothing crazy i think for the the first night too you know we had full canvas up and then the northerly wind shift came just as we had passed to the north of the bahamas so we had our room and that's when the winds built up and the seas built up and and things got we got to really sort of test the boat. And it was, I mean, it was the sea trial because yep. I, other than motoring around near the marina, I had never been out sailing the boat before. Yeah, so this is, you know, the the typical sea trial where you test it <laughs> you before go out, you go for a big trip. You put sails <laughs> on, yeah, yeah. Well, and I, and so I, I guess with this podcast, people will be able to sort of learn some lessons that we had to learn the hard way, but... Yeah, normally you're going to actually go and and try everything. You're going to put up all the sails. You're going to try and find the problems that you might encounter uh, before setting off for sort of an open ocean passage. Because we were going to do nonstop. Should have been about 10 to 12 days. And what it was, it was after that first blow that we ended up uh, finding the engine didn't work. And we couldn't use that anymore. And we had only used it once, I think. Yeah, yeah. But, and that was all, it was just uh, the the salt water was coming in the exhaust and it got into the engine, which isn't great for the engine, but it, it doesn't hurt it as long as you get it cleaned out. But we didn't, 
I didn't, again, I wasn't prepared and I didn't have any sort of diesel repair manual or anything like that. And because we didn't have a sat phone, we couldn't actually call anybody to ask any advice about it. But we decided we'd just keep going, right? That is correct. And we just pushed on. And, and I think we, the weather calmed down and then we had a couple of good days of sailing. It wasn't too bad. And then the, the southeast winds basically started hitting us. And we had already sort of made that mistake of trying to go a little further south instead of just yeah. going and flying as far east as possible to get out to latitude 65. But Yeah, but it was, it was nice sailing. We caught some fish, ate some fish. We cooked some bacon. Had some good meals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we did. And I just remember how talkative you were. Just wouldn't shut up at all. It was it was phenomenal. It was really cool. I, I think I learned more about you on that trip than probably any other time in my life, believe yeah. it or not. Huh. Yeah. I, I know Adam and Sven were jealous. <clears throat> they, were, they were sort of like, how come he gets to learn all this stuff? Dad, <laughs> Dad never talks to me. <laughs> just kidding That's and we not. and we played around with a sextant did some yeah you taught me and... you taught me how to do the the noon site and everything and God, i still can't remember what that that book is it's like the one day celestial navigation guide but oh. i still take that out with me because i always need a refresher just before but that one actually details a real simple way to do longitude as well. Cause latitude is really easy. It's the longitude that's gets yeah. a little squirrely, but so we did all that. Like you said, we caught some fish. We had some great dinners, nice cocktail sundowners. Those were always a lot of fun. And, um, and then, yeah, we, we got within, I don't know. It must've been 10 days out or something like that. When, when the winds really started to die and it started getting pretty dicey as far as us just sitting and floating. And we kept trying to fix the engine, Yeah, but nothing ever really came out of it. And actually what surprised me was that we could, we could not get any, uh, radio communication, you know, even receiving it. We, we couldn't get, uh, Weather forecasts over the radio. I always thought that I'd well, never actually been out in this area, but I thought I'd be we'd be able to pick up something. I think we were just too far offshore. Yeah. I mean, once once the Bahamas were gone, we we yeah. spent the majority of that trip. I'd say four hundred miles. Yeah, out. So we were pretty much on our own. We didn't see really any other ships or anything, and the AIS wasn't working because I hadn't registered an MMSI number. So. That's another top tip for those who are using that equipment. This that, that, that voyage should be a a a a lesson in how not to prepare. Yeah. For. Oh no, for sure, it really is. There's a reason I left it out from the book, <laughs> but it's gonna go in the next one about how to train for for getting ready to do one of those big trips. Yeah. But, but as you were saying, as we as we got closer to where we were going like 150 miles or so we did start to pick up some radio broadcasts yeah we got the little cuts little cuts and we heard this business about 25 knots from the northeast i think it was yeah yeah um and we were thinking oh this is gonna be great we're gonna have some 
nice, nice steady breeze. And but we'll get in there in no time. And then our first inclination, it went overcast. And then the swell started to show up before any wind. It wasn't really windy, but yeah. we, we did pretty quickly have to start taking sail down. And, and before we knew it, we were down to just the staysail. Everything else wrapped up, and it was probably blowing 35, 40, yeah. maybe and, gusting to 45. And it happened fast because, you know, you and I were talking about it. I was steering at that point in time, and I was in my bathing suit. And when the wind came up, all of a sudden it became sort of cool. And you tossed me your uh, foul weather jacket. So I, yeah. put, I put that on, and all of a sudden, this, under the staysail alone, this boat was taking off. We were doing, you know, I think I, think I got to like 12.9 knots or something. And when you took over, it got even faster. But, you know, we were really hauling. Yeah, well, I, and that you know, that was something I found about that boat. It, it just, it, it definitely likes to surf waves as long as it's got enough wind in its sails and the waves are big enough. I mean, when they get really big, you know, my record speed on that's 20.9 knots down a wave. And I, I saw, uh, like, the high teens quite often down in the Southern Ocean. And that was with just the tiniest scrap of mainsail up. And it just, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it digs back in pretty quickly. But that big rounded bow, you know, it doesn't, I, I never felt like we were going to pitch pole or anything like that. Even on waves that were excessively steep where, you know, the bowsprit hits the water. It's like the modern scow designs for the the race boats they're using. Oh, for the... Um, the America's Cup or the Bondi Globe, yeah, with yeah. that weird bow to, yeah. to keep them up. Yeah, well, it was that was the pretty crazy, and we hand steered all that through that storm. Yes, I think in part just to actually sail the boat ourselves, but also I I didn't have any faith in that wind vane at all that it could handle those sort of wind speeds and and everything. And and the as we're sailing, the wind vane is saying jerome i yeah. can do this you can i can jerome. take care of this yeah. well and the worst part i mean you know i i could leave that wind vane alone well over into the 50 knot range of wind and it was fine the only time i had trouble was when it got you know up above say 55 and it was gusty that's when i would have to be up there and sort of have to help it along and everything but it also you know depended on the whatever sails I had up and all that sort of stuff. It's just a phenomenal piece of equipment to see working, to have it just sail the boat. No problem. Just keeps going and going. I mean, I, I've only had a few issues with the wind vane, the Aries wind vane throughout, I don't know, 70,000 miles or something. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. So we, we bash our way through this night or we, you know, we're on a sleigh ride basically because we're going downwind just to have the staysail up and then the next day was we're closing in i don't know when we were able to get it was either a cell phone signal or a radio signal but we found out that customs in the bvi we only had a certain amount of time to get there before we could check in and we wanted to check in because you needed to fly back home yes yeah I was thinking it would be a good idea not having been in contact for yeah. 12 days. All those that were wondering about, you know, our whereabouts, 
Oh man, they must have, it must have been pretty incredible to uh sort of be up here, you know, thinking, "Oh, I should hear from them today." And then two days, three days, four days, and a week goes by. But obviously, the people weren't too worried, though. No, I, w- I was impressed. Yeah. But, you know, during that time up here in Michigan, Mom was getting snowed in. There was like storm after storm. So you had to race back, and we raced in, and were able to just catch customs. And they let us in, even though I looked, I must have looked like a drunken fool. Because we were getting bashed around so much that I could barely stand up while on dry land Uh, that was probably the worst case of land sickness i think i've ever had Hmm. i was holding on to every counter and all that sort of stuff man that was that was something and you had forgotten to sign your passport apparently so yeah (laughs) (laughs) but they let us in anyway i think they knew us oh man well that was that was one heck of a trip i i will never forget that voyage and it was it was a real learning experience, you know. I, I think the biggest things I took from that one, well, and the other was that you know when once we didn't have the engine, we were completely relying on that one solar panel that I had, and I wasn't even going to install that in the first place. I was actually just going to throw it underneath the bunk. But I guess lessons that I learned: one would be to have a huge diesel and electrical maintenance, you know, reference book. The other would be to check any and all equipment <laughs> before you leave, a.k.a. sat phones, uh, make sure those actually work. And then, I don't know, what else? What other things did you learn on that trip? Uh, how to, <laughs> to definitely hold on to the buckets when you toss them over the side. Oh, uh, yes, pick, yes, pick that's ups. right. We lost our bucket over yes. the side. I lost the bucket. Yeah, it happens. Well, we had that fancy, stupid toilet in there yeah. that was electric that took a huge amount of power. So as soon as we lost our power, if the sun wasn't out, then we lost that, which that's been replaced. But other than that, you know, I mean, I, I had total faith in the boat. I had no worries about its seaworthiness. But, yeah, there there could have been – I mean, you know, we had problems with the sails, but we had the sewing machine, so I could fix them right there. Yeah. Other than that, though, no, we didn't it, really run into too much. It, it worked. That was that was great. You know, we we sail we sailed to the BVI. We didn't motor. We Darn didn't right, we didn't. <laughs> we didn't have a choice. We did spend quite a few nights just floating. Yes. No sails up, and me sort of standing up there. I do remember one night. We must have been about a hundred or one hundred fifty miles north of Puerto Rico and the islands totally becalmed and there were cruise ships or tankers or something that were sort of all around and i i thought to myself geez you know if we get onto a collision course with one of these guys we're a sitting duck i think i brought the grab bag with the flares (laughs) up into the cockpit just just in case but yeah so that that was that was the maiden voyage of the mighty sparrow and like i said we learned a lot of lessons and uh, i think i I think I've come a long way since then, um, but that was the start. That was that was the first real big step to getting to sail, you know, all the way around the world. And I couldn't have asked for a better crew on that trip. Well, thank you, Jerome. I 
I couldn't have asked for a better captain. <laughs> <laughs> Would you ever go out on Mighty Sparrow again for a long offshore trip? Uh, you can be honest. Y- yes, I. I'd like to know what what our wind conditions were going to be. I I wouldn't want to be going upwind at for all two yeah. weeks <laughs> in that in that uh, little lady, but. Uh, well, and you know, we we never really got a good chance to do the straight downwind, which is what I had to do a lot of in the Southern Ocean, where you're yeah. rolling, you know, thirty degrees on either side. Yeah, and for it just goes on and on and on and on. But that's that I think is way different. I I still I couldn't agree more. I think beating into the wind is just about the most painful, annoying point of sail. Yeah. And when I'm out there, if I don't have to go into it, I will gladly crack off and just reach yeah. across the wind or do whatever until the wind changes. So. Well, you remember when we took uh, the Sparrow from Gloucester to Rockland? That was a blast oh, of a we sail. Had a, the, the wind you're supposed to have when you go down east, you know, is trailing behind us and we were reaching, broad reaching down there. That was terrific. That yeah, that was and that we as we pulled in, that's when the clouds opened up. It started raining, all the fog, and we sort of lost a lot of our wind. I think yes. on that one. Yeah, yeah. But by that point, you know, that was after we, my whole Caribbean season of training and all yeah. that. So the engine worked. Yeah, <laughs> and everything was all sorted out. But that was a great trip. That was still one of my fastest runs, I think, from Gloucester up. Yeah. To to Rockland, Maine. So, well, cool. Well, you got anything else you want to throw out there for the listeners? I I think that's it for this episode. I'll I'll save them up for the next one. There we go. There we go. I'm I'm glad to have you on, and uh, even more glad to have you as my dad. All right. And inspiration. Oh, thank you, Jerome. You're welcome. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And if you want any inf- more information about. Uh, The Trip Around the World, the book is Sailing into Oblivion. It's available on Amazon. All right. Have a good one. See you later.